0: Before we get to today's episode, I want to share something really incredible with you. So if you've been following me for a minute, you know that I do talk a lot about helping our kids learn how to regulate their emotions. I also talk often about the fact that emotion dysregulation in younger children is developmentally appropriate and all the tools and tricks and ways that parents can help their children maneuver from emotionally dysregulated to eventually learning how to manage their emotions. There is a lot to this conversation, more to come on that, but here is what I want to share with you. There is a set of books, it's children's books that are called Team Super Crew. They are incredible. It's four books in a box set. And each book talks about a different big emotion that your child is likely experiencing. I love these books for a lot of reasons. But number one, they are so relatable for kids. They are not text heavy, which is something I really appreciate about a children's book, meaning your child will really be able to manage the language in this book and they'll be able to take it in fairly quickly. The illustrations are beautiful and they're just so fun. Each story centers around something, frustration, being brave, trying new things. And the beauty about these books is this. If you listen to me for a minute, you know I always tell parents don't try to regulate their emotions amidst the dysregulation, meaning when they're having a tantrum, that isn't the time that we want to go in and try to help them calm down or give them solutions in that moment. But we do want to work on it while they are calm. So, with the Team Super Crew books, the advantage to this is that you get to look at these books with your kids while they're calm, while they're regulated, and you get to have open ended conversations with them about this. What do you think this character is feeling? When have you felt this way? What do you think this character did to fix the problem? That's amazing. What have you done when you felt frustrated? Do you know what that means when you feel frustrated? So many different ways to use the books. I can't stop talking about them. If you've been following me on TikTok, you know that I made a whole video dedicated to Team Super Crew books. So for more information about these, go ahead and look in my show notes. I have the link there. You absolutely want to grab these. There are four adorable books that your children and you will absolutely love. Hi, welcome to the Parenting Reframe podcast. I am Elbiona Rakipi, your host. I'm a former teacher, a parent, currently a pediatric speech and language pathologist, and I'm a writer. I've worked with thousands of children and families throughout the last 20 years, and I have learned so much. On this podcast, we'll approach parenting from a curious place. We'll ask questions and get answers, explore new ideas unpack the unconscious beliefs and expectations we hold on to about parenting and reframe what it means to parent. We'll search for solutions to some of our biggest parenting challenges, set aside judgments and find our way through this wild journey. My hope is that this podcast is a space where parents can feel seen, heard and supported. Welcome aboard and let's reframe together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Parenting Reframe podcast. I am so excited today to have my guest on. Her name is Robin Hillmantle, and I am going to kind of pass it over to her. But before we even allow Robin to introduce herself, I want to talk to you a little bit about what today's episode is going to focus on. We are talking about gaps in postpartum care, along with some of the crises that we're seeing right now with childcare, limited child care, not enough good quality childcare, and how at the end of the day, despite a model of 50-50 parenting, mothers are still bearing the brunt of this. So before I go any further, there's an incredible app called Baby Center, and Robin's going to explain a little bit more about it. This is a great resource for parents regarding pregnancy, baby concerns, and some of those early childhood needs. A lot of what I talk about on this podcast, so I knew I wanted to have Robin on. So before I gush and keep going, Robin, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit more about who you are and what
1: you do? Sure. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for having me. As you said, I'm Robin Hillmantle at Baby Center. I'm one of the members of the content team there. So we're the app that everyone knows as, oh, your baby's the size of a blueberry this week. You download it when you're pregnant. It gives you those updates. It tells you like, oh, you're experiencing morning sickness, totally normal. That's going to go away in a few weeks. And of course, we continue to do that. But we also do a lot of research and want to be your partner in parenting and go way beyond even the baby years. Um, So I'm really excited to dive in more to the topics that we're talking about today in terms of postpartum care and gaps and then also a lot of the child care crises that we're seeing right now. Absolutely. I know.
0: So I think we should just jump right in. It's interesting. I read one of the articles, well, several, but there was one article in particular that really stuck out to me on the Baby Center app, and I loved it, and it really highlights a lot of really critical research. and it was a survey that Baby Center did over two thousand participants took part in it, talking about the way mothers usually feel once baby is born, how the care suddenly shifts from being all about mom to suddenly it's all about baby, and there's very little kind of concern about mom and what mom's body just went through and how we're bouncing back from. I mean, even the term bouncing back implies a quick recovery, doesn't it? (laughs) Let's kind of start there and unpack a little bit of what prompted you guys to, A, do the survey and what were some of those staggering findings that you came across?
1: Part of our app that our members love is the Baby Center community. And we have people posting like Every minute there are multiple posts. And so it's this great resource for us to really keep our finger on the pulse of what moms are talking about. I maybe should have mentioned my intro. I also have three kids myself. I have three boys, a five year old, a three year old, and a nine month old. So, you know, I have my own experience, but there's just a lot of power in seeing through our community of millions of members what people are posting about and the topics that come up again and again. And so we had seen this sentiment, definitely, of like people being surprised by a lot of the common postpartum symptoms and the severity of them, just feeling like completely unprepared. Also feeling like when it comes to friends and family members, the kind of support that you get is people coming by and saying like, oh, I can hold the baby for you. Like, you know, I brought this present for the baby. And of course, everyone's excited about the baby. We're moms. We're the most excited about the baby. Right. But at the same time, you know, no matter how you gave birth, your body just went through a pretty traumatic experience um, and you need recovery time. And that was something that we had seen pop up again and again in this anecdotal way. And then we talked to our research team and really wanted to dive deeper into like okay, what does this look like though? How are moms feeling in terms of like how prepared they feel to take care of their baby and how prepared they feel to take care of themselves? And what we found is basically like no matter how you slice it, if you look at how moms feel in the hospital right after they give birth, how they feel in those weeks after they've come home, um, if we're talking about their healthcare teams or if we're talking about their friends and family, just always the message that moms are getting is like the baby is the priority here. Mm -hmm. And that really bore out in the statistics. You know, we saw it was about 65% of moms say they leave the hospital feeling prepared to take care of their newborns. But only 47% say they feel prepared to take care of themselves. Um, So we wanted to just write about this and raise awareness to hopefully, you know, affect change and get people talking about this more. And at least until the healthcare system catches up to where it ideally would be in, in the policies, um, just let moms know like this is a, a thing, unfortunately, to kind of be mindful of and know is coming. Absolutely. I know there was
0: um, somebody had shared their story in the article that I read, and it was so interesting because I think what she described and what you guys reported on was likely what so many mothers are describing and again to your point we're not saying that care doesn't need to be given to the baby and it isn't about Mm -hmm. who is the priority it's that why can't it be that both are the priority in that moment and she describes how initially she came home and we all can, I think I related to this quite a bit. I'm also a mom of two and, you know, you're, you're excited and the baby and there's there is a lot of kind of adrenaline and there's all this excitement around and energy kind of surrounding this new phase. And then it isn't really until about week four or five that you start to go, uh-huh. OK, I'm now I'm really exhausted and my whole body still hurts and actually I'm in a lot of pain and I'm not sleeping at all. And so you start to have all these extra feelings and this mother reports kind of reaching out to her doctor. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about this because I think the response she got from her doctor is probably the same response many mothers get, which was, oh, here's a script for a psychological evaluation. Or Mm -hmm. there is this implied notion that if you voice your concerns, or if you say it out loud, you're almost made to feel like, quote unquote, something is wrong with you that needs further evaluation. It's rare. Where in actuality, this mother was able to really find solace and peace in a community of other women who are going through the same thing. She didn't necessarily need a psychological evaluation. And even if she did, certainly that is absolutely OK. But the kind of all or nothing approach that we sometimes take to postpartum care can feel so frustrating. So what are your thoughts on that and what has the research sort of indicated? Is that getting better or do you find that most mothers are sort of given that same prescriptive like, oh, call a
1: psychologist? Yeah, I mean, I think what we see again and again is there are just huge disparities in maternal care. I mean, that that is the crux of the maternal care crisis in our country, right? And a lot of what plays into that is different demographic groups are not receiving the same care, which is... Really, really unfortunate. And I, I think it also plays out in just like different practitioners have different abilities to, like you said, mm-hmm. take more of a nuanced approach versus this all or nothing approach. Um, so I think, unfortunately, it is all too common that we still have a lot of healthcare providers who, when a concern comes to them, that's kind of outside of their wheelhouse. What we see is they're kind of like punting you to another specialist, right, who I think I can't speak for doctors. I'm not a healthcare professional myself. I'm an editor. But, you know, the impression we get is that it's well-intentioned, right, because practitioners are in their eyes trying to get you to a person who can help. But I think, yeah, there needs to be more attention paid to like, how does this make you feel as a person and a human being who's trying to reach out to a trusted medical professional and say like, hey, I think I need some help here Mm -hmm. and to not even have a conversation about it. Right. To just say like, oh, go talk to someone else about this. Um, And I've had firsthand experiences of, you know, when you try to go talk to medical professionals who are the specialists, it's just it's frustrating. You don't always find the right fit immediately or, you know, maybe if you don't want mm-hmm. to immediately go on medication for mental health issues, you want to explore other options. Um, The system just isn't really built for those kinds of nuanced conversations to happen before, you know, it's a quick like meet and greet with someone. And then mm-hmm. it can feel like you're being like sent on your way after a quick appointment. I wish I had something better to say than like, it's still very much a problem. But I think the power of community of moms and talking about these things, right, and raising awareness is that it's a systemic problem. And the burden should not be on us as the people who are unfortunately being harmed by the problems in the systems. It shouldn't be on us to fix it. But what we can do is talk about it. And I think we are seeing moms feel less alone to at least know, okay, others are going through these experiences. And I think something else that we always have to talk about with postpartum symptoms is, especially if you're a first-time mom, but really with any birth, it's hard to know whether your symptoms are normal or not. (laughs) And there's a fine line between like, this is urgent, I need... Medical care now, whether it's a physical symptom or a mental health symptom, and where the line is of being like, actually, this is quite common and like it's not okay, but it will get better. Uh, So I think we have to talk to each other and we also have to advocate for ourselves. You know, if you don't feel like you're being heard by one medical professional, try to get a second opinion and just see because it could be literally life-saving depending on your situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, work that you you guys are doing at Baby Center certainly is going to help the matter. I think we have to empower women who are in that position to, Fortunately, you do have to advocate for yourself. And through that advocacy, we can hope that there can be systemic changes because I think ultimately that is yeah what will help, but it will take some disruption, right, to the system at first. Absolutely. It's interesting because you know, as I was reading about that one mother's story that I was describing earlier, I sort of think to myself that a lot of women probably, and I know myself when I had first had my children and I was in that, that postpartum state, there is almost this feeling that you can't really complain mm-hmm. or this sense, and I'll put complain in air quotes, yeah. like this sense that you're, you're really just, that's just how it is. And every other woman did it. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of, you know, expectation that you should just Grin and get through it, and not like grin and bear it, and not really have anything to say. So I think one to your point is like, what is normal and what isn't normal, Mm -hmm. and because I think as women in general, we've sort of come to this place where it's even difficult for us to trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. We kind of look outside of ourselves to see if something is right or wrong, and we have a difficult time being really transparent about that. So I do. urge people, like if you're even questioning the way you're feeling, to just reach out because even if it's to a friend, right, like or to somebody else who's maybe been there to kind of walk you through that. So one of the areas that really stood out to me or one of the things that you guys reported on at Baby Center is you guys talk a lot about the differences in how A mother's anxiety level, whether dependent on the type of maternity leave she's granted and the type of parental leave that is granted through different jobs. And I know in my first job, not in my current job, but in my first job when I actually had my kids, they're much older now, I didn't have paid maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And I remember being completely shocked that it wasn't, you know, you're in America, you're thinking this developed country, industrialized country, like Mm -hmm. certainly I'm going to have that covered. And then I came to find out, you know, I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching at a more of a private school than not in the public sector. And I think the expectation was that everybody gets maternity leave and that just wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about the importance of, you know, what the research has indicated in terms of the duration, like the length of time that seems to be a time that's adequate, you know, and I don't know that we can put a number on that. Yeah. And like how other countries are rising to meet that need in such a
1: better way than we are. Yeah, um, it is shocking. So there is no federal paid leave policy right now. Um, Some states have policy that guarantees paid leave. And, you know, even when there are policies like that, it can depend how many employees your company has on a lot of like fine print but it is not guaranteed. And that's unfortunate because what we found in our research is that having that time to both recover and bond with your baby has a huge impact on mothers. Mm -hmm. So the average maternity leave that the participants in our study took was a little under 12 weeks. We did not measure how many of those weeks were paid. Um, To your point, uh, I'm sure getting paid also helps make them feel more secure. (laughs) Um, But what we found is that having a maternity leave of 13 weeks or greater was associated with a pretty significant improvement in mental health. So those women were 29% less likely to experience symptoms of severe anxiety than people who had less than 13 weeks of maternity leave. You mentioned what role the partner's leave has as well. Um, That also was associated with mental health. Um, So the woman in our survey whose partners did not take any parental leave, they were 89% more likely to experience symptoms of severe anxiety. It's huge. You know, we need that time after baby's born to... Figure out parenting to, yeah, yeah if you mm-hmm. were a birthing parent to physically recover. Uh, obviously, your baby's like waking up a ton through the night. So you're not doing a lot of sleeping. Um, <laughs> so it's really necessary. I think anyone who's had a comment like, oh, what are you going to do during your vacation? Um, and it's oh. taken maternity leave <laughs> is uh, very well aware it's not a vacation at all. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how granting something like or making it a paid maternity leave across the board, right? Like a, we talked about the systemic problem, right? And just improving some of those systems. What a huge difference that would make in yeah. people's disposition. And then the trickle effect or the ripple effect of that is so huge, right? Because now you're, you're able to tune into your child more, yourself more, you're more grounded. You're mm-hmm. able to eventually rejoin the workforce in a better way and a better state of mind. Right. So I just feel like the ripple effect of it would be so much better. And it's just it's still staggering to me that we don't that it's not a policy that we absolutely have to have paid maternity leave. And I'm even for kind of parental leave. Mm -hmm. What do those maternity leaves or parental leaves look like in some of the other countries, some of the other industrialized countries and how have they been able to handle it? And what are we sort of seeing in their postpartum care?
1: It's not uncommon for other countries to have six months or a year of parental leave. Mm -hmm. A lot of moms in the U.S. only take two weeks after their baby is born. At two weeks, you are still bleeding.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly.
1: You're not physically recovered, not even close. To think about going back to work then as opposed to having six months to a year to really physically heal, mentally get to a better place, emotionally bond with your baby. It's just a totally different reality of parenting. And it does make you wonder, yeah, like, why can't we do it if these other countries are able to? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some things that we can do
0: in terms of just advocating for ourselves for changes? <laughs> what are some things women can think about? Like, I know for me, I mean, I like I said, I had my kids and I worked somewhere where there wasn't paid maternity leave. And I sort of coach my daughter now, you know, she's obviously not even close to that time, but she's almost 18. And I keep telling her, you know, as you get older, these are things you're going to have to advocate for and you're going to want to look for in places that you work for. What does that look like? What does the care look like there? And so what are some things we can do collectively?
1: Yeah, I I wish uh, that there were just great policies in place and we didn't have to do these things. But I think you hit the nail on the head um, to the extent you can when you're job searching, you know, ask about the full benefits package. And a lot of women are a little nervous to ask specifically about the maternity leave policies because discrimination is a thing, right, against candidates mm-hmm. who are either currently pregnant or who a hiring manager might think is going to become pregnant. But I think asking just about more detail on the complete benefits package hopefully should get you some information about what the parental leave policies look like. I think also it is extra legwork and it's a headache, but checking what your company or your boss offers against what your state mandates um, There are a few states that have passed more and more progressive laws in this space, not with my current company. But when I was having my first child, I lived in New York, which does have pretty good laws around this. And uh, my company was telling me I was only going to get, you know, a certain number of weeks based on a new law and when my baby was born. And I was like, That doesn't sound right compared to what I'm reading on the government website here. And so I had to push back and eventually they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I was able to get the extra time. Again, this is something that we should not have to do. Yeah. But if you really are committed to getting a leave and making it work, that's something that you just have to put in the extra legwork. You can also ask your HR, you know, if you don't have the time that you want or need, you can ask them, okay, well, I need more time. You know, are you able to hold my job for two more weeks, for three more weeks? They might say no, but they might say yes. So it's worth having a conversation if that's something that's really important to you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think those are all doable. And like you said, unfortunately, it's sad that we're in a state that we have to be the ones to do it. But for now, I think as long as we can advocate for ourselves and inform ourselves of those laws and what is within our rights and, you know, making sure that we are getting that, I think is going to be really key, certainly at least a starting place. Mm -hmm. You know, Baby Center is obviously a great space for mothers and there's this great community there. What's sort of the recommendation in terms of other mothers, just where can they find places and resources where they can reach out and maybe just feel seen in their experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, like you said, the baby center community is a great place. Um, There are a lot of groups that connect you with like-minded moms, whether it's how old your child is, uh, where you're based locally. We see all the time conversations about, oh, how much maternity leave are you taking? Like, how did you get your boss to grant you more? So a lot of that like mom to mom conversation of people sharing advice from their firsthand experiences. And we'd love to see that. Of course, I think there are some great resources elsewhere, too, that you can look. Um, the like Chamber of Mothers is doing a lot around paid leave and can help connect you to some resources as well.
0: That's great. I know I think that makes such a difference. You know, when you just have somebody who can allow you to feel seen, I think there's a lot of power and value to that. Mm -hmm. So, kind of, you know, in that same vein of mothers kind of carrying the load and having to sort of bear the burden of some of these things as soon as, you know, through postpartum, I was talking to you a little bit before we started to record. You know, another area that you've done some reporting on is some of the crises that we're seeing right now in Mm childcare, right? It was kind of this post COVID era, I think. Throughout COVID, we certainly saw where we have a lot of fragile systems. And I think COVID exposed that. I don't think COVID made it worse, as some people might indicate. I think COVID just kind of opened our eyes to like systems that really aren't that effective and how really the fragility within them is so apparent. Mm -hmm. And I think childcare was glaringly one of those systems for us. What are some of the burdens that we're seeing? What are some of the bigger ones? And what is the load that the mother is carrying right now who is in that crisis?
1: We did a big report on child care late last year. And, you know, we see this as moms ourselves. But also, again, this was something that was really inspired by in the community every single day. There are posts of people asking, like, what do you pay for child care? Wanting to know what's reasonable in their area and also complaining about mm-hmm. closures or long wait lists. And so when we did our study, we just wanted to kind of take a look and like quantify some of this. And what we found is that moms have to start thinking about childcare often like in pregnancy. So we hear this all the time. Like the first person I told I was pregnant besides my partner was the daycare center because we had to get on the wait list. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's the thing. Like my nine month old, I put him on the wait list when I was pregnant as well. And then, you know, after you had the baby, Then you're on these waitlists. Most moms who we spoke to were on more than one waitlist too, just like hoping they would get a spot somewhere, right? And then when they got a spot, we got a lot of reports of just like you said, the the fragility really like disrupting childcare. So uh, once our date offered, then that shifted. uh, Yes. Once they're enrolled, Regular closures because of staff shortages, all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Some places have systems where you have to, like, basically first come, first serve every day. So you don't know if your kid's going to have childcare that day. You know, you just like show up and hope you're earlier than your peers, which how horrible. Like, so hard. Yeah. And then, of course, the price the price that people are paying for childcare is just skyrocketing year after year. And this is all coinciding with what has been referred to as the child care cliff. Mm-hmm. Basically, the federal government was providing some stabilization funds to child care centers during COVID. Almost all childcare centers were taking advantage of these. And they're built into their business model, right, of how they're able to get employees and make it work. Um, And then when you take those funds away, which is what happened in September of last year, then it becomes unsustainable. Either you had to hike up tuition, you have to cut the pay that these already like poorly paid teachers are getting. Yes. Or you just have to close, which is what, you know, a lot of child care center directors were saying, like, we don't see a path forward other than closing. So I think circling back to something you were touching on, there's a lot of logistical nightmares baked into this. And yes, another thing we saw in our survey is that more often than not, it's the mom who's taking the mental burden of solving these logistical nightmares. If the daycare is closed unexpectedly, if your kid has a fever and they have to stay home, which is usually the policy almost always at daycares, it, more often than not, it's the mom who's then taking on childcare duty that day. The other interesting thing we found in our survey is it's impacting mom's abilities to advance in their career, to take on projects that they're excited about. It's impacting just so many areas of like if they want to continue working, if they think they can have as many kids as they want, because child care is expensive and hard to work with. So it's a problem. And I think it's something that we see other countries, again, handling differently, where government is taking a more active role in saying, like, this is a fundamental need. So we're going to invest government funds to make it accessible and affordable to everyone.
0: Absolutely. I know it, it is frustrating when you can see other countries doing it in a way where government is funding it. And honestly, it's the foundation of so many things. I mean, my bachelor's is an early childhood, and then my, I went on and got my master's in speech and language pathology. But I've always worked with children and younger children. And it's amazing to me. You know, there's so much lip service, I feel like, around this idea of investing resources in education. And I think that probably is there, but it's probably there in more of an academic mm-hmm. way, like not necessarily in a sustainable way that are some of the things that these families need it's not serving the needs of what families really need and they should just be able to have access on it and, and from an economic standpoint it makes i mean there are huge strides in economies when you can increase that workforce mm-hmm. or if like you said this mother could take on different projects because she knows she has consistent childcare that's reliable and high quality like mm-hmm. that's a whole other area of whether or not they're even offered you know high quality childcare mm-hmm. So I was talking to a friend and she was saying that this was during a little bit more sort of in the middle of the pandemic. And like you mentioned, there were a lot of closures and there were a lot of like, OK, there was an exposure in this classroom. So that whole classroom has to shut down for two weeks and quarantine and, yep. you know, things of that nature. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep working. Yep. You know, it's impossible. And she said her husband and her have had multiple conversations around, okay, who's going to leave their job? And nine out of 10 times, it winds up being the mother. Right. Yeah. So is there anything, again, we can do to help or is it just to continue to advocate, to inform ourselves, to read the work that you guys are putting out there so that we kind of know? I mean, I always say like voting is critical, but we also vote with our dollars. Right. So what are some things that we can do to really advocate for ourselves and collectively for all women who are in this boat?
1: Yeah, I mean I think definitely voting for candidates who support these issues is a great start. Educating yourself. I mean, the types of content that we try to do also on Baby Center are really looking at this as like okay, like what can you do? Like what are the things affecting you? So we have, you know, advice on like how to find affordable childcare. We can't, you know, make a new center pop up in your neighborhood that doesn't have a wait list and is a reasonable price. (laughs) But just like knowing the landscape and what we see happening, these are the kinds of areas where we try to provide advice on like, how do you choose between like a nanny or daycare or a family-run childcare center? Just kind of educating people on, you know, you got into like is it high quality care too? There's a lot that um, yeah. I think first time parents, especially, don't realize around like licensure for childcare centers and what does it mean if a center's a five star facility versus three star. And mm-hmm. and I will say like one's not necessarily better than the other, but there's a lot you can learn. Um, right. Something I also like to tell people: I live in North Carolina and here at least, if a child care facility is affiliated with a church, they aren't subject to the same licensing requirements. So Mm. these are the kinds of things that we try to just make sure at least parents are armed with the information so that they can know even something as like now that you and I have gone through it, it might seem pretty basic. Like if you want to your child in a daycare center you do kind of have to get on a wait list as early as possible. A lot of parents don't realize that. So we try to educate parents to let them know and arm them with these resources. Um, I think something else you can do is keep in mind that all these facilities are run by humans as well. So they don't always have flexibility in their policies, but you can always ask, you know, do you have scholarship programs? Do you know of any scholarship opportunities with our county or our state that I could apply for? Just having the person on the ground connect you to opportunities or resources or if it's flexibility in your schedule that you need asking, you know, if there's any way you could do kind of a hybrid of like, well, sometimes I'll need full days, sometimes I'll need partial days. Like that's not in your published options, but is that something you could work with me on that's another one of those things where sometimes the answer is no, but at least, you know, you asked, but a lot of times you might be surprised that they're willing to work with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all great advice in the sense that at least gives everybody a starting place and kind of what to do and where to at least begin, because it can be so incredibly overwhelming. And I think to anyone who's listening, just know you're not alone. I mean, I think so many people are in that boat right now and they're trying to work through it but we all can certainly recognize or at least agree that it's a challenge and it's something that has to get worked through and I think over time we will I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that things will be better
1: yeah me too
0: before I let you go are there some kind of what are some cool trends that we're seeing in 2024 in terms of parenting or what are your readers and subscribers sort of indicating what kind of direction are you seeing things move in
1: yeah I love talking about this this is really fun one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, this idea of the baby shower um, is getting upended a little bit. People still have baby showers, but more and more we're seeing some movement toward what people are calling nesting parties instead. Mm. Often it presents as smaller guest lists of really like close friends and family. And instead of asking for physical items for baby They're instead asking, like, will you help me finish painting the nursery or, you know, help prepare a meal that we can throw in the freezer for those postpartum days? Looking for more help and support in less material ways. Um, So that's a fun one that we've been seeing that we're excited about. Then another one that's been popping up in the community is this idea of really strict, like, rules for visitors of newborns um, Mm -hmm. and it's almost ubiquitous. We did a quick pulse check, went through a poll of our audience and almost every mom right now who's pregnant is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have rules for people visiting my baby, especially in the hospital, but at home, too. And these are things like, you know, you have to wash your hands before you hold the baby. You're not allowed to come if you're sick. Mm -hmm. Some people are requiring masking around their baby, even if the person isn't feeling ill. Um, So just really thinking through more like, what am I comfortable with? What am I not? And some parents are even like printing out little like cute signs or lists of these rules to inform family members. And as you can imagine, family members are often expressing a lot of opinions about these (laughs) rules.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. But those are great things to think about and they're good things to do while you're pregnant and not in the midst of trying to navigate that postpartum world that we just described and then on top of it to have sort of that uncomfortable conversation of, hey, before you come over, is everyone feeling okay in the house? Are you experiencing any symptoms? You don't always have the wherewithal to do it in that moment. So I think that proactive strategizing and being able to do it then is a really helpful tool for sure. I certainly... I didn't do any of that. And I know for a fact that, you know, I have a huge family, we're Albanian and my husband is as well. And there's a lot around like gathering around the baby and traditions and things Mm -hmm. of that sort. So... Certainly for every person's household, that can look very different. Yes. But you should definitely have that conversation and know what feels right and what doesn't for each person. Yeah. Well, Robin, thank you so much for the work you guys do at Baby Center and the way you help so many mothers and so many parents through so many different challenges just to feel less alone and to really provide them with such important research and important information. And what I love about it the most is you guys really take your research straight from your readers and people who you are talking to in the community. And we really know that that's what really matters. Those are the voices that we really need to hold up and, and listen to. So thank you guys for the work you do. And where can people find you and where can they connect with Baby Center?
1: Yeah, so the app you can find in the App Store or on iOS and also Google as well. So you can find it there. And then we're also on the web at babycenter.com if you would prefer that experience. Perfect. Okay, well, Robin, thank you so much for your time in this
0: conversation. I know it's been helpful to me to hear so much of the things you've shared today. And I know listeners will find a lot of value in it as well. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for having me. I really
1: appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening right now. And what really makes my day is if you share or recommend the podcast to a friend, it is the greatest compliment. If you have not already, head on over to theparentinereframe.com where you can subscribe to get my weekly newsletter, Parenting Skimmed. 10 sentences delivered to your inbox every Thursday to help you parent and live a better life. It's for the parent who constantly told me, I just don't have time to read. Make sure to come and say hi to me on Instagram at theparentteenreframe. My DMs are always open and I love hearing from you. Until next time, this is Albiona.